0: Yo, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug about Antares and Auto-Tune. Antares makes the original industry standard Auto-Tune that we all know and love the sound of. We are sponsored by them, so if you visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash auto we do get a small kickback from every purchase. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Please enjoy this episode. and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I am your host DK and with me as always is my lovely co-host, La La La, Landslide Lou.
3: That's why they know me as a homewrecker. What? <laughs> <laughs> Landslides can wreck homes, I'm just saying. Oh,
0: okay, okay, okay. <laughs>
3: Don't introduce me to your wife, I'm a homewrecker, I'm a landslide.
0: Anyway, uh, welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. Thank you so much for being a listener. If you notice, if, if we're live right now on Twitch, on YouTube, even on Instagram, mm-hmm. we're live. Um, we love to take questions and we talk a little bit, do some banter before we get started with these episodes. Um, all of our podcast episodes, or at least most of them, um, are also on YouTube. Go check us out, uh, mixingmusicpodcast.com. Um, and... Uh, yeah, watch, check out our YouTube channel, our Twitch channel, Lou even live streams as well. Um, yep. Lots of stuff going on all the time. So today's episode is a very good one. I think it's something that many people have asked for, um, and I think it's been a long time coming, and we're going to try to do our very best to do an episode about how to hear compression. Both what to look out for and two or what to listen for. And to uh, how to train your ears to hear them better in the future. Um, some things that you can do now. So I think that's what we're going to talk about today for this episode. Um, and the first thing that I wanted to bring up and that we're going to talk about a little bit more is uh, what compression is. Now, you'll hear many engineers, including myself, talk about tonal differences. We like the way that the mid-range sounds with this compressor. We like the way the top end, the low end sounds with this compressor. The punch. Yeah. yeah. And just generically, the punch or whatever. But I want you to forget all about that tonal stuff for now. And we want to focus on amplitude at the very beginning. So compression is a tool that is originally mostly supposed to be for amplitude and shaping. I mean... Uh, Back in the day, before compressors were invented and automated this simple process, there used to be a dude on a fader that, for example, while a vocalist was recording their vocal, they would have to anticipate the vocalist and make sure to turn their vocals down on the fader just a touch when they get loud and turn it back up when they get soft and try to level it out as much as they can. Um, But that, that necessity went away as soon as compressors were invented. So... Number one, you got to think about compression from a pragmatic standpoint. It solves the issue of too much dynamic difference in a song, amplitude, dynamics, volume. However you, whatever word you use to describe it, it's all the same. We want to uh, make sure that there we can control the difference in volume in different points of the song whether that's in the chorus to the verse or whether that's every snare hit to feel a little bit more consistent every kick drum hit to feel a little bit more consistent um yeah and so that's that's kind of like the original purpose so think about that from the beginning
3: yeah and it's kind of funny because for many people at a starting point Uh, I'm sure you've heard this a bunch of times when we're going through lessons with like some of the people that are kind of newer to engineering. They're kind of getting their feet wet where it's like, so I should be compressing all the time on all my sources. Right. It's like, no, not necessarily. Like you shouldn't be gunning for compression all the time because there comes a point where though we are looking for control and to kind of even things out throughout the mix and from different elements over compression can also make it to where it's just too dull of a mix. It can also take away the life of something. You know, So it, it's one of those things that is statically known as a tool but is still very much a creative tool.
0: Yeah, so things like, for, for example, some of the side effects of compression would be like if you put it on a drum bus or like overheads, you're going to hear the sound of the room, the reflections in the room. You're yep. going to hear that room tone uh, a little bit louder. So yeah. it'll be a little bit roomier. And So if you want more like drums that fill in like a, specific, like a sonic space, um, compression may be a good idea. But one of the things that I hear all the time is compression makes different tracks thicker uh, or punchier.
3: My favorite description is louder.
0: Yeah, and and honestly speaking, that is not what it does. Like yep. most of the time, that is the exact opposite of yep. what it does. Compression makes different sources, especially transient. Based off transients, we let's try to describe these um, as much as we can. But transients are in a waveform. The transient is the initial. Is what? How do you say? I guess you could say the initial
3: burst of energy. It' very similar to like a peak of a mountain. If you were to look at it from a very steep slope, it's that initial crack of the snare that you hear, not the sustained information after it.
0: So it's yeah, exactly. So it's that initial peak in the waveform that those are called transients. So for example, percussion. Ha- percussion typically has a lot of transients, but if I sing long notes like this, there's not as many transients there's no specific part of the waveform that sticks out, maybe except for like the t's and the s's and different consonants if I'm yeah, singing, if you right. say the
3: word pop versus verbal, you know ver is kind of like a soft ha- transient
0: hallelujah versus pop <laughs> pop that po- okay <laughs> 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 There's going to be a lot more transients in yeah. that, right? You're exactly right. Yeah. So we got to think about this, and so um, that transient information is very is going to directly dictate how much headroom that we have in the final stages, and can change how loud we can have our mix and master be.
3: Whether you want to apply just one compressor or two,
0: yeah, and it can it can change how punchiness the mix is. Um, yeah. These things. Uh, how your transient is hitting and is perceived directly affects the overall tone of your of your mix. And it's a big deal. and people people need to be more aware of how it's affecting their mix, both how to utilize it better to get louder mixes or to get more cohesive, thicker mixes. Or how
3: to get it more emotionally dynamic mixes.
0: Mm, exactly. How to lay off or when to lay off, I think, is a yeah. is a good thing to know.
3: Think about like a, a rock record versus an R&B soul record. You know, a rock record, you want it very interfaced with wall of sound. And then R&B soul is very open, deep. There's dynamics to it. But yet both of them are going to utilize compression. It's just two different approaches.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So with compression, um, we all hear what compression is supposed to do, but we're going to go over, in the beginning epi- beginning of the episode, we're going to go over the attack and release and how that works. Um, but before we get into that, let's first talk about um, something that you should do to train your ears and to help hear compression. If once you go home or once you're in, in your DAW and you're actually trying to use compression in a way to hear it um, and you mess with the attack and release knob in the threshold. Um, the first thing that we want to point out is the importance of using the compressor at the same perceived volume uh, with it bypass, For example, if you bypass the compressor, compressor as a plug-in or as hardware, it should be the same volume yep. as it uncompressed, like perceived volume, not metered volume, perceived volume, Many which times, may be different from your metered volume for sure.
3: Exactly. Many times when you're talking about compression and how we apply it, you'll hear a lot of professionals say, like, don't look at the meter. Don't look at the gain reduction amount necessarily because though you may say, oh, go lightly with it, I'll be honest, there's many mastering engineers and mixing engineers who say, you know what? I know I'm technically visually compressing more, but it didn't sound like I did more. You know, they're using their ear to kind of tell at what point it is doing too much or not. So forget about the meters for now. You know, whether it be your output, whether it be your input, whether it be the amount of reduction that you're doing. Focusing on the meter actually distracts you more from the actual end goal that you're after, right? If you're trying to listen for compression, it's not going to be done with your eyes.
0: Amen. Cool. So
3: that's the first thing. The first thing, again, is...
0: When you pull up a compressor and you have a lot of, I think when you're first testing a compressor to hear the compression, you should also be doing like a lot of gain reduction, oh, yeah. like like turn that threshold down uh, on whatever source it is, whether it's a drum. I think typically one of the f- my favorite things to listen to compression for is like a drum kit. If you have like overheads or like a room mm-hmm. or just like a, just a two track, a single stereo track of drums. Um, You're going to hear a lot of that because there's enough transient and percussive elements in that track. You're going to really hear how the transients are shaped and how the dynamics are controlled and how the compressor reacts. So typically, a lot of compressors have attack and release variations. Some of them are set, like fast, slow, and they may not give numbers. Some of them have set
3: milliseconds. Some of them are infinitely variable. Some of them are just a reduction knob like the LA-2A.
0: Yeah, literally. Some of them you have no control over attack release. So just for the sake of testing these out, you should pull up a compressor that you do have uh, the ability to change the attack and release settings. Even so, if it's the stock ones. Yeah, and for now, just for the sake of doing it, keep the ratio at like four to one. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about ratio later and how that affects. Uh, but for the meantime, the higher the ratio, the more com- clamping and compression, the harder compression it's going to happen, um, and lower compression ratio, less compression, the smoother it's yep. going to be. Um, but for now, just do four to one. That's like a classic low but pretty aggressive compression ratio. Um so let's talk about this. So keep it on 401. Hit like negative 10 dBs of gain reduction. And then I want you to attack or tweak the attack knob and, and start really slow. Like max out the most amount of milliseconds or the slowest possible that could be and slowly crank down very slowly and, and make that attack time faster until you reach its max and go back again. Mm-hmm. So Lou, um, when we... Put a compressor on a drum kit mm-hmm. and we go slow to fast and fast to slow, what are people going to be hearing? Or what do typically, you want to be hearing
3: for? So typically, if let's say you're doing it on like a drum sample or something, let's say it's just a full kit, first thing you're going to notice with a slower attack is you're definitely going to hear all the transient bleed through, right? The initial attack of the drum, but you're also going to notice that a lot more of the low end actually pokes through. The faster you start getting with it, the tighter it starts becoming. But you start noticing that. Hold on, on. let's let's keep the tonal stuff
0: at the end. Sorry, I want to focus
3: specifically on the transients. So, because
0: I know, I know we're getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can always
3: dive deep into it.
0: Compressors are literally like our favorite tool because there's so much more that you can. It's more than just dynamics. It has been, but for now, just to keep it simple.
3: So you'll notice that a lot more of the transient bleeds through, but the faster you go, the more it starts to clamp down on it. And like I, like you said, like if it's sticking just to four to one, you'll start noticing that it gradually reduces the faster you make it. Keeping the threshold the same, keeping the ratio the same, it just starts to clip away at it and you start noticing that it squares off. Yeah, once it's squared off, you're really just listening to essentially a transientless version of it. There's no more attack on it.
0: Yeah. And yeah. it's interesting when it's relatively slow, like thirty to sixty millisecond of attack on a mm-hmm. drum kit, you might hear that initial pop of the snare like bah,
3: yeah, or be or really loud.
0: Tip, and then like, but the but the how do you say the tail end or yeah, the, the sustain the sustain of the snare or the kick or whatever all of a sudden be a lot quieter. It's literally just that initial pop that is really loud,, yeah. um, and then the more the faster you go, it just totally disappears, and you will see more gain reduction, so if you 're yeah. hitting minus ten at with thirty to sixty milliseconds of attack time mm-hmm. by the time you 're clamping all the way attack it, all the attack all the way down, it might be a lot more gain reduction oh yeah, fifteen plus i don 't I don't know how much of a difference it 'll make depending. But, uh, uh, yeah, you're, you're going to hear that. And so, again, once you, once you go down and make the attack as fast as possible, you should be able to hear the difference between a slow attack time, fast attack time, and then go ahead and bypass that plug-in. Um, use that makeup gain and try to match the perceived volume of without compression and with compression and then re-enable the plug bypass it and really try to hear the difference and then keep going again and make go from fast to slow yeah. now let's talk about the release knob Release knob is also very important. Um, the release knob is basically how quickly the compressor stops working after the th- the signal has gone back below the threshold. We're not really going to go over how a compressor works. Yeah. Sorry, that was that's not the intention of this episode, um, but rather how to hear it. the release time affects uh, signals and tail ends or sustains of different things. In an awesome way, typically the most transparent way to keep a compressor is a very fast release time. So it's it's very normal to hear someone say very slow attack time, very fast release time. Mm-hmm. And then the slower the release time goes, the more it's gonna grab. I think people have heard um, the the compressor is like grabbing. It's mm-hmm. like grabbing too hard or whatever. That's because potentially that's typically with the release time. Yep, and. For example, on a drum kit, this is one way that it affects the dynamics. So if a snare hits, that means the gain reduction, it's cutting, lowering the volume quite a bit, and it's going to keep the volume low for longer amounts of time. This will directly, for example, we were talking about space before and bringing out the reverb in the room. If the release time is fast, it's going to it's gonna stop clamping down, the compressor's gonna stop reacting faster, so you're gonna, it's gonna snap on the on the uh, snare or the kick drum, and it's gonna release on the sustain. So yeah. you're gonna hear that sustain, you're gonna hear that room a lot more, but then if you have a slow release, you're not gonna hear the room as much.
3: Yeah, and if you time it to the next, let's say, snare hit, right, let's say you're Time just, it by ear. Yeah, let's say that you time it by ear and you just have it on the actual snare, If you time the release right enough, you can actually remove a lot of the room. Now, it doesn't permanently take it out. It doesn't just mute the room, essentially. But you'd be surprised. You can actually use this stylistically if you time the release right. So just like how DK said, if you have it fast, you can almost think of it as we mentioned before. You got to use the makeup gain to match the volume, right? If you wanted the room louder, a faster, Attack, or I mean, sorry, a slower attack with a faster release is perfect for that. And if you wanted to dial back the room, all you'd have to do is back up the release a little bit. And you'd actually hear the room get quieter, but the attack of the snare stay the same because you've left the attack alone.
0: And it's interesting, oftentimes, specifically with a drum kit, the slower the release time, the less you hear. Uh, the other things like hi-hats. Exactly. So if you have too much hi-hat bleed, or the hi-hats all of a sudden get really, really loud, which is a cool sound in itself. So maybe that's why you want to keep a fast release time. But if you do a slower release time, you're going to hear less of the sustain of each hit. Also, you're going to hear less of that hi-hat and and the bleed of different things go away. Um, Less of that room tone. So... To put it in a nutshell, that attack time you're going to hear the origin the initial transient information, that initial punch of each hit, each percussive hit, and then the release is like the sustain, um, the tail end of everything. So you're going to hear more with the fast release. You're going to hear more room, more sustain, mm-hmm. and with a slow release, you're gonna, it's gonna do less room, and it's gonna be less well. sustain is going to be different based on...
3: Yeah, depending on the source.
0: Yeah, Yeah. depending on the source. Because I think it's like the opposite for if you do, like, a bass... Yeah. I'm trying to think right now. I don't
3: remember. If you you do a slow release on a bass... It tightens up the low end. Because if you think about it, and I guess this is where we could jump into tonality of application, right? Just with attack and release, how we can affect the tone of something. Um, If you think about, like, playing with the timing of the release on, like, a bass instrument, let's say you go for a slow attack... That probably means you want a little more thump out of it. But if you're trying not to make it too wubby or anything. Wubby. Yeah. like, Yeah. But uh, let's say that you're not trying to go too much with that. You could actually slow down the release uh, little by little. And you'll actually hear the actual definition of the bass tighten up. And because of that, you can actually get it to fit more of a funk pocket as much as you can make it like just a static sub bass going on in the mix if you made it a faster release. Sometimes oh, yeah. you can just change the character with the actual release knob enough to where it's you can actually make it fit a pocket.
0: Yeah. So, uh I think the next challenge that we want you to do after you get a drum kit and it mess with the attack and release knob and bypass it mm-hmm. you know and all that jazz. The next thing is to pull up is a bass, whether it's an eight oh eight or a bass guitar. I think bass guitar is gonna be yeah better it's gonna you're gonna hear better it's a little it's typically an octave higher potentially than eight oh eights that are way too low. There's more harmonics, so you can hear it a little bit better um if you can. Um, get a bass guitar going, just solo that, and do the same thing. Attack and release, get some lots of uh, gain reduction going, and then also you're right. Listen for the the balance of the low end. How much low end is there? Yeah. Um, what's really interesting, depending on the compressor, typically uh, one of the one of the ways that you can get distortion out of compressors, because compressors can't handle this, mm-hmm. is an extremely fast attack time yep. and a release time. So one of the tricks that I used to do with my outboard 1176s is, is that on 808s I would distort them by going 20 to one or or all buttons in. Um, which is just totally limiting, just high, high ratio. Like if you wanted
3: a transient, it didn't exist.
0: Yeah, high, high <laughs> ratio. And then the fastest attack time and the fastest release time. And then the more I push, the more gain reduction I have, the more the 808s got distorted. And then if you want to, you can use the attack knob. I think I've talked about this on the pad- co- podcast before. If you slow down the attack, you're going to get less distortion. It's, re- it's like a really interesting, it's like a mix knob for distortion. Um, and it's one of those things that you can try. Some compressors do that and thus how, how cool and fun compressors are cause you can now use them as like a total distortion or tone box. And that's depending on what it's modeling and different things. Um, a lot of these compressors nowadays, modern compressors are like super clean so that you can do fast attack, fast release with a very clean signal. Um, but yeah, something like a, like an analog 1176 is going to totally just, it's going to distort it. It sounds freaking dope and it's totally usable. Um, Yeah, like in bass, you're going to hear the low end tighten up Mm. with release times uh, you talked about. Um, Also, the last thing that I want you to try, the last source that I want you to try is a vocal. Yeah. A vocal. Uh, even like a rap vocal versus a spoken vocal because rap vocals are a lot faster they're rhyming a lot more consonants it's going to react to compressors differently slightly differently than like long note ballad type vocals
3: well you want to definitely listen for sibilance and transients from like T's and P's and all this because a lot of people talk about wanting like a clean forward but like natural sounding vocal but the funny thing is there's nothing very natural over compressed vocals but there's also a stylistic sound to it think about it like uh, one of my favorite rappers coming up was uh, Common and when you listen to Go uh, it's actually really dynamic vocal but it's also very compressed it sounds very clean but it I would associate that more to just having like a well timed compressor but you listen to like a lot of trap records nowadays and like we're kind of used to that distressor sound or kind of like very in your face kind of vocal so because of that there's a lot of sibilance but then there's records like uh, uh, what is it? Um, is it Boy by Charlie Puth that you always reference that has like a ton of sibilance? But yeah, it doesn't I, I, sound and like attention. Attention is, attention. is the attention. one. Attention, that's what it is. Where it has a lot of sibilance, but it doesn't actually have a lot of compression going on. But if you were to, you know, play with the attack and let's say make it too fast and slow down the the release, you'd actually get more sibilance out of it. But if you were to actually slow down the attack and speed up the release, you'd almost get the same effect, depending how hard you're hitting it. Like, it's it's kind of this funny thing where, like, with vocals, you almost have a different setting for every vocalist.
0: Yeah, uh, for sure. I think wh- this will lead to one of my least favorite and most annoying mistakes that I hear all the time. This is a common mistake. Um Again, if you're trying pragmatically means that like you're looking for a solution. So we're literally speaking not based on how we feel but like solution focused. So if I'm being pragmatic, I use and practical. That's a better word. Practical. Mm-hmm. I use a compressor to so when in a ballad song, the girl or or woman or man yells the chorus and they're like kind of mm-hmm. leading up to it and then they start yelling and sustain some notes. I hear this is like one of the most common mistakes, especially with like a really emotional song where there's gonna be tons of dynamics. In the verses, they're whispering, and then all of a sudden, they're yelling in the chorus. We hear that compression clamp way too hard during that yell and that sustain, and you can hear it a lot. And there's no amount of automation that's gonna make it not sound good compressed yeah. like i will sit there and try to make it sound better with like clip gain automation and volume automation but that it's not gonna it's it's, it's gonna ruin it. yeah so um you can overcompress, especially with i hear it the most with ballad vocals slow <laughs> emotional ballad vocals men and women i one of the mixes that i had to do with one of my clients uh, a few months ago it was exactly that and she had hired me specifically because yo know, the recording engineer effed up and she's not an engineer but she could still hear that the emotions were compressed yep the emotions were pushed down yeah, like I think "compress" is the best word. The emotions yeah. were compressed because of the actual compressors. Like that loud note needed to be that loud sustained note needed to come out, but that CL1B just clamped down too hard, and the engineer didn't think about it because they were just trying not to clip the the, the uh, Pro the Tools meter. exactly. So that's <laughs> yep. why you leave headroom, um, and and that was a bitch to try to fix. And it was as she was like I thanks you for trying your best. It still wasn't fixed. And that was literally, I spent hours and hours automating. It. And it's like, yeah. you cannot get that to come back. And that's something that you lose. Um, so go ahead and mess with um, automating vocals. I think, uh, yeah, again, rap vocals that are consistent energy, consistent consonants all the way through versus really emotional vocals where it's quiet in the verse and louder in the uh, in the choruses is also great practice to hear that compression. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like with vocals going back. Um, if it's meant to be loud, you want to hear it loud. There's a tone to loudness. And if you clamp down too hard, it's, it's too much. Um, same thing, um, with drums, practically speaking, if you record live drums, every snare hit is not going to be the same exact volume, but practically speaking, I want the snare to be really consistent. So it pokes through the same amount every time. That's why we use a compressor on snare drums. Um, and then the nice, the side effect that we like to think about is how it changes the transient and the tone of the snare drum. Yep. That's the side, the, the side. Like, ooh, this compressor gives a little bit more distortion or saturation. It's like kind of pushing it and it gives that sustain a little bit more. And then there's like the character of the compressor. Um, so now we're going to, the next challenge and way to think about it is to use those same three or four sources again but on different compressors.
3: Yep. Go for something. There's many different types, like, to name a few. You got, like, Verimuse, You got Optical. You got FET. You got uh, VCA. But all of them have a different intention, and they were all invented at different timelines in history, right? So they all serve a very specific purpose. For instance, like, uh, we all hear about the SSL G-Bus, which is a VCA compressor. Um, My favorite thing is when people tell me that I love the tone of the uh, the SSL G-Bus, but the funny thing is, VCA's were invented to have no tone. But it was because of the way it compressed that it had a tone. Not that it itself was tonally relevant. Because technically, SSL's whole market plan, let's be honest, was to be a clean console.
2: Yeah, it's it transparent wasn't to be as possible.
3: Exactly. But... That didn't actually happen with their compressor; it actually had it, a un, it actually had a very unique sound to it, but that's kind of the cool thing too, because when you use something like let's say a manly very Mew, which funny enough, their very mew compressor is literally just called the manly very mew um, <laughs> great marketing <laughs> but um it's, it's really funny because even that one, like, you do a tiny bit of compression and you hear it right away. You do a lot of compression on the SSL and you start to hear it. You know, they, they react very differently. The LA-2A only has um, one gain reduction knob. And the more you twist it, the more it actually changes the attack, release, and the ratio. It actually becomes this ever-changing setting to where, like, unless you put it in the same exact spot again, you'll never get that setting again. Which is actually very unique. And then in later series, you'll notice that there is an actual uh, bias knob that was originally made for a little flathead to twist, where it said uh, "focus more on the top end information" or just be flat. Yeah. You know. But all these things created different reactions. So you'll hear people who say, "I love LA two A's on drums," and people who say, "I hate LA two A's on drums." Well, what was it, and what type of genre, what style of drums like? What made them react that way? So, like, at this point, now you're listening for stylistic difference, which is kind of the great thing about how me and DK look at compressors. There's a style. There's a there's a feng shui to the sound.
0: Yeah, and I think that there's um, a lot to be said about there's a lot of probably between the two of us, there's probably a lot of compressors that we use that are not. Traditionally, use the way that we use them. We have found different ways to use these compressors that are traditionally used for other things, or or culturally used for other reasons. Um, which lets me goes into the next little bit that I want to talk about is I think it's okay to look into and study why the SSL G bus is used on mix bus or yeah. on drums, and and to I don't think you should brain aimlessly use different. Um, compressors or tools just because someone told you to but I think that's a great starting point uh, to understand why this compressor is typically used on drums or on yeah. vocals and like figure out why people like it and see if other compressors works on those different things in a way that you like uh, and uh, I, so I think like starting point, just use compressors based on what other people have said they liked it on and then, and then go beyond that and discover other things as well. The last challenge that I want to do after you've gone through these individual sources is putting compressors on a mix bus or just on an actual song like a full range song it's got bass it's got drums or or 808s or whatever put it Um, on something you're working on something percussive it's got vocals put it on a full entire mix and now we're going to talk about tone hit that compressor real heavy maybe you do the attack and release times differently Um, but this time i want you to hear how it tonally changes because now that you have a track that has full spectrum, false frequency from low to high... You're, you should be able to hear quite f- clearly what's changing. Yep. Now you may hear a couple, there's a couple different ways to hear for tonal differences. Is one is like tonal balance. Think about it in frequencies, but you may also hear um, these different instruments coming out, and that's going to be yep. related to frequencies as well. For example, and typically in most songs if if a compressor emphasizes and, and kind of adds this mid-range flavor to it, you might hear the vocals be a little bit yep. louder or the snare, the crack of the snare be a little bit louder, you're not going to hear as much piano or if you hear that low mid so for example one of my favorite compressors the magic death eye has this beautiful low end low mid thing no matter how much i compress it's going to really enhance and smooth out fill out that low mid frequency Mm -hmm. Uh, like that two to five hundred just sounds beautiful and, and this is where it gets ultra nerdy and you can actually use compressors for more than their practical use, which is clamping down on dynamics, controlling dynamic variances, mm-hmm. and then turning it into a tool beyond that for the saturation, for the distortion, for the tonality that it's not supposed to impart, but it naturally does, oh, yeah. especially plugins that are emulating hardware, because there's no way for an electrical signal to go through that many capacitors, transistors vcas or whatever and have it not change the tone like it's going to have to and that's why different compressors are so popular and famous for different sources is because how beautifully it changed the tone on
3: top of the actual practical amplitude control like one of my favorite ones to be honest is the distressor Mm. it could be both clean as hell and it can also be the most disgusting thing you've ever heard. Mm. It, it takes, uh, what did uh, Dave Durer uh, uh, compare it to? He said it's supposed to essentially emulate three very common compressors, which more align with the LA-2A, LA-3A, LA-3A, and 1176. So funny enough, you'll notice that the ratio goes from one-to-one all the way to what it's what called a uh, nuke. And the nuke is basically all buttons in. But the moment you turn that ratio on, even if you hit it a little bit, you immediately hear a difference, even if you're doing one decibel of compression. Mm. But he also has this really cool one, which is um, a one to one ratio, uh, British mode, which you hear the harmonic distortion. So
0: it's like it's compressing, but because of the saturation, the saturation the overloading itself, of the signal.
3: Exactly. Rather and than that's the, the compression compressor. versus the ratio compression, which actually has its own whole other side of compression that you know we could um, we can make another episode based on that using saturation as a form of compression so
0: for example like if you have tape machine emulation Mm -hmm. um, there are some tape machine plugins where if you push it it there's actually a gain reduction meter on the plugin for example tape face on kive Kive Audio? Yeah, Yeah, Kive Audio has tape face and there's a VU meter option where it says gain reduction. You can see how much gain reduction is being applied. So it's not a, the tape machine is not a compressor, but because it's overloading the signal and it can't handle that transient information that rounds it off, um, it's naturally compressing the signal. Which is, it's not, again, this is really confusing because it's not a compressor, but saturation because it can't handle, it smooths out those really peaky transients, it can't handle it, so it overloads the signal, distorts it, and it rounds it off or it squares it off, and thus basically compressing. So that's what tape machines are really awesome for, that's why people use them, is because there's this subtle amount of compression going on. Yep. But it's, it's not... Intentional, it's because there's a the smoothing actual-
3: happens and because of that, you also hear other frequencies get pushed and it starts to give that sensation of compression.
0: Yeah, there's not enough headroom. There's manic it's mechanically inferior to infinite headroom digital. Because yeah. if it's infinite headroom digital, that transient's going to be maintained if you're yep. if you're within zero, right? Uh, but with the tape, it can't. If it's too hot, it can't. So it's going to round it off. Thus, compression happens. Too Don't hot. worry about that right now. We're not talking about that kind of compression. But I just want you to be aware that that kind of compression does exist. Um, for example, when you when you're play, if you're a guitar player and you go through a fuzz pedal, there's no dynamics. You play a tiny little. You a know, tiny little pick note it's very quiet. it's yeah. going to be just as loud as the hardest slam down yep. the strings because it's already so distorted and so compressed from that distortion yep. it's it's really really that that's basically it so ways to, different ways to think about that um Even a synth. When you record a synth and you see the waveform, if it's like a heavy sawtooth synth, you're going to see it be a little bit more square and less dynamic than a soft pad, which may swell, and you can see it go in and out, maybe even, like it's not as square. Um, Square wave is literally it overloading the signal, going past zero, and it cutting it off, and it becomes square, and that's what causes that buzzy distortion that we know today. And love. Yeah, And love, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Interesting, right? So it's all about the dynamics or the amplitude, the volume of those signals. Anyway, I think this is a great introductory episode into how to listen for compression. Yeah. Um, And, yes, compression is very difficult. So once again, to recap, uh, listen first for amplitude difference, not for tonal differences. Listen first for amplitude, hear how the transient, and if you need to look up what transient is, just what are transients in audio on YouTube, someone's gonna explain it better than we can over vocal-only podcast, voice-only podcast. Um, It's gonna change the transient information, and the sustain, or the tail end after each percussive hit, um, or whatever sustain notes, it's it's gonna change everything. Uh, make sure you hear for volume differences. Then move into tonal differences. Try different compressors. Try different sources. Bypass, and when you bypass again, uh, put it. Make sure that the raw, the dry signal is the same volume as the wet signal. That means mm-hmm. compressed signal. So make sure that you can ha- compare it um, effectively, so you can hear the difference. Um, and then just try that. Uh, compression is very practical. It's very useful. It's it's one of the secrets of how to get mixes very very loud is by compressing along the way, not all at the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of secrets in how to use compressors, but that's not what this episode is about. It's more about how to hear compression. Hopefully that helps. This episode is sponsored by the Mixing Music Podcast. If If you like the podcast and want to hear more practical tips, technical and practical tips of how to improve your mixes, for $4 a month or $40 a year, you can sign up for our exclusive episodes our exclusive episodes releases every Wednesday and Thursday. So instead of one episode a week, you get three episodes a week. So three times the amount of episodes. Um, and you can you go to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive to get access and find out more about the exclusive episodes. Once again, it's mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. All right. Any other thoughts on compression Lou?
3: That, which we talked about, is a very baseline intro to compression. There's many stylistic ways, and it's not just harmonic. We didn't touch on like sidechain or practical uses for sidechain, aside from tonal shaping of the compression, but honestly speaking, focus on just the basics, and you wouldn't believe how far these basic pieces of information could take you. If you really wanted to uh, shape your drums to smack really hard or sit in the back of the mix, just listening for attack, release, and level matching will make a world of a difference. So, just focus on that. There's a ton of YouTube videos on a million other things, but, hey, uh, my dad used to say, you know, there's a million ways to skin a cat. I don't know why you would, but fuck it. Um, <laughs> there's a million graphic. ways to compress a drum set. Just focus on the basics for now.
0: Amen. So, on that note, good luck, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy! We have a lot of videos of the podcast and various other tutorials on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash YouTube. Happy mixing and enjoy the show.